as I alluded to earlier, I love when we, we gather together like this. Um, I think it's important to recognize that we, we gather regularly at different times in different ways and express ourselves uniquely, but also it's essential that we take those moments where we can gather as the, the family of God together, um, recognizing that from the little list uh, running around, sometimes seemingly chaotically, which I think is brilliant, um, to those maybe not running around quite as much um, amongst us. I was really struck last week, um, if you were here at 8.45, um, I was uh, sitting just behind Brian as he was leading the intercessions, and he mentioned a number of current circumstances taking place around the world that we need to be praying into, um, praying for our brothers and sisters in the faith, but also other things that are going on. And there was one particularly that really just grabbed my attention. Um, uh, as Brian mentioned, the situation in Burkina Faso, and it won't be the only place where this is happening, um, but he referenced, you may recall, where pastors are being arrested along with their families, um, some are being murdered because of their faith, because of what they believe, and their willingness to stand up and be counted for it. And as I sat, kind of roughly there, uh, my imagination did this kind of weird sort of thing, and it made me think, what would that look like if that was me? What would that look like if that was here? And in that kind of split second, um, I pictured Emma, I, I pictured the children, and I was in that moment of, what if that had taken place? As I you know, stand up here um, and begin to preach the word of God. And in one respect, it was a, a frightening concept. But also it's something that's stuck in my head and has kind of reverberated around over the last seven days. And I don't mention it as a kind of a scaremongering kind of tactic, um, that we need to kind of be on edge because who knows what's going to happen. And, and yes, we need to be alert, the, the Bible tells us to be. Um, but more because we need to remember that that is the reality for believers right now. You know, okay, we're talking different time zones, but there are believers right now who are doing what we're doing, but they're doing it in secret because of the fear uh, of what could happen if people discover that they're worshipping God, that they believe in him, um, they long to praise him. It struck me, kind of, you know, me personally, would I hold out to the last? Would I be someone who would kind of, you know, cave in and recant just to save my skin? Or would I be someone who would defiantly, you know, hold on to the very end? And in part, I'm quite thankful that that's not a question that I'm being asked of this morning. Um, it's not a question that any of us are actually being asked to respond to. But I wonder whether we are in one way. And I want to reflect this morning on a passage of scripture that I, for me really has raised this question uh, of what are we doing with the freedom that we have? Um, as individuals, as believers, uh, and as a church? What are we doing with the possibilities and the opportunities that God has set before us? If you've been here since the beginning of January, we've been working through the Beatitudes, Matthew 5. And I've shared with various people in conversations, and, and I think as I've been preaching through some of them as well, just how massively challenging I've found them. Because they're phrases that we maybe know very well, Phrases that we maybe learnt from when we were much younger, but actually they really ask that question of us. Okay, so who am I? Who are you? Ed Jones, 
relevant of being a pastor uh, and all that stuff. But no, who are you um, first and foremost before God? And I've not been asking this question in terms of my, my identity. Um, Galatians 3.26 uh, says, you know, I'm a child of God. I recognize the fact as we've celebrated because of Jesus' love, his willingness to, to pay the price, to stand in my place, um, I can be free. I'm not asking that. I'm asking who am I more in terms of my character. How does that identity get outworked? Or how does it not always get outworked? Maybe it's a better question we need to be asking ourselves. I'm a child of God, but actually is that the reality day in, day out? Or is it something that we only key into when it suits us um, or or when uh, we choose to? I want to read from Acts chapter 16, um, uh, a passage uh, you may be very familiar with. If you've got a Bible, I encourage you to open it or turn it on. Uh, I'm going to be reading from verse 16. Paul and Silas um, in prison. He writes, Once when we were going to the place of prayer, We were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for our owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. When our owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us, Romans, to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up. When he saw the prison's door open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. Then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in the house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them, washed their wounds. Then immediately he and his household were baptised. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. When it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order, release these men. The jailer told Paul, magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave. Go in peace. But Paul said to the officers, they beat us publicly without a trial, even though we are Roman citizens, and threw us into prison. And now do they want to get rid of us quietly? No, let them come themselves and escort us out. The officers reported this to the magistrates. When they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. They came to appease them and escorted them from the prison, requesting them to leave the city. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house, where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them. Then they left.
don't know about you, but I found that amazing passage. Um, and it's a passage that has so much going on uh, within it. And you can look at it lots of different ways. You can explore the different people within it. Um, you can explore some of the different events in it. And one way that I started reflecting on it, preparing for this morning, was to, well, initially look at the fact that you've kind of got these bookends either end of this uh, passage. You've kind of got on the streets of Philippi. Um, We begin with this fortune-telling girl um, through uh, her interaction with Paul and the others. Um, They're obviously just about their business. Um, They're kind of preaching. They're sharing the good news of Jesus. And she is just hounding them um, and kind of telling everyone what they're about. Um, In some respects, doing a bit of their work for them. Um, But Peter gets to the end of his, he's like, no, I've enough. And in the name of Jesus, he calls out uh, the spirit. And she leaves. uh, It leaves her. Um, But obviously that doesn't go down well with her employees. Then if we look at the other end, we see kind of, you know, at the end of the story, again, we're out in the streets of Philippi, really, because you've got the authorities um, who are just trying to get rid of Paul and Silas. Um, It's all going a bit wrong, uh, realizing that they're Roman citizens, and yet they've had them kind of beaten and arrested and thrown in prison without a trial and so on and so forth. Um, and, And it's almost they just want to kind of get it done and dusted. If we then kind of move uh, a stage inward, really, in this passage, we then see again kind of two further kind of bookends, really, with the jailer. Initially, he's, again, about his, his business. He's doing uh, what would be expected of him. Um, he's commanded to guard them carefully, um, and he does what is required of him. But yet later on, we see this complete transformation. Um, this powerful response to the fact that, well, the prisoners, they haven't done a runner. Um, and actually, there's something uniquely special about two of them. Um, he asks this question, what must I do to be saved? And there's this subsequent transformation, this belief in Jesus and this baptism of him and his entire household. But it's the central moment. It's kind of at midnight that I want us to reflect on. Verses 25 to 28. Uh, it's this bit that has kind of been, been going around my head and I've been focusing on. And I believe God wants to speak to us through this morning. Just recapping. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword, was about to kill himself, because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. It's in this moment that we see what these two are made of. We see completely where Paul and Silas's uh, loyalties lie. We think back what's actually taking place here. It's very easy, as I did a few moments ago, to read through a passage like this, um, and we get to the end, and then we'll move on to, to what happens next, and next they're off to Thessalonica. Brilliant, and move on. They'd have been in a lot of pain around midnight. They have probably been suffering from their flogging, um, which I'm not going to go into the detail of that, but I'm sure you maybe have heard uh, at different times uh, of what actually is involved in that. What's more, they're in chains, so their feet uh, are in stocks. Um, this is not a kind of a five-star Hilton uh, that they're in. I doubt the jail in Philippi is going to get a five-star review on TripAdvisor from them. Um, it's not a great experience. It's not a moment um, when kind of we'd expect them really uh, to be that positive because of the brutal treatment that they've experienced. 
And I don't know about you, but I would kind of give them their dues if actually they got to midnight and they're just fed up and they've just had it and they just can't really be bothered anymore. I don't know whether you're the kind of person who, you know, something can happen, um, your day just goes slightly wrong, a phone call uh, doesn't work out the way you wanted to, um, it's, it's raining does that from time to time apparently um, you know when you were hoping to go out for a glorious walk uh, by the seaside and it's you know 50 mile an hour winds um, and your frustration levels just 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 rise uh, and that level of annoyance within you just kind of bubbles over and if you've got a cat you might try and kick it um, just as a confession I'm trying to learn to love our cat I know I've talked about our cat before uh, but but things just don't work out And maybe you find yourself in those moments where there's that anger uh, and other emotions that are just coming out to anyone you encounter because of things that have happened. They've got nothing to do with them, but you've just reached the end of your tether. You've gone in that kind of downward spiral. And the last thing that you want to do is praise God. The last thing you want to do is say, God, you're amazing. I'm really in it at the moment, but you're just wonderful. Um, That's sadly not always my instant reaction uh, when things go a bit south. Yet that's not the reality that we see here from Paul and Silas. Tertullian, he said, the legs feel nothing in the stocks when the heart is in heaven. And I love that idea of actually, yes, physically their bodies would have been in pain. But the reality for Paul and Silas is they were somewhere else entirely. They were seeking to praise and sing glory to God. And the question we might want to ask is, well, why were they doing that? Was it because actually they were a bit delusional? Um, a bit dehydrated, um, beaten one time too many, and they kind of just lost all perspective. Uh, and so really it was just a bit of craziness that was going on. Um, see, we see in this moment, I believe, the example of two people who their faith in Jesus Christ and his power, the Holy Spirit, flowing in and through them is at such a level that even though their circumstances are not great, No, their response is to praise God. And so thus, in this this rather dire moment, when things are not looking good, they choose to worship him, to sing hymns to God and to pray. And I believe it sends a a, a quite straightforward message of what is at their core, what is at their heart. There's no question for me as I read this, and I think, you know, to respond like that in that moment, doesn't matter what's going on outside, because inside is the power of God at work. And I believe there would have been little doubt um, in any of the other prisoners' minds as to the fact that these two stood out from the crowd. And there was something exceptional um, about them, not because of who they were, but because of what was at work within them. And so we see that they are, they are ready for action no matter what. I mean, there's this move of God, this earthquake, and their response, as we see, is not to panic, um, is not to do a runner. Um, no, their response is one that is guided by God and their relationship with him and their experience of being able to be filled by him. The jailer, obviously, slightly different picture for him around midnight, um, there's a you know an earthquake. The very foundations says of the prison uh, are shaken, and he sees all the the doors open, uh, and he fears the worst really. So he goes for his sword because he at this point already knows um, that kind of an earthquake shook my prison is probably as good as my dog ate my homework. 
Um, it's not going to cut it the next day. Well, sorry, you know, it's out of my control, isn't it? Um, the magistrates, they weren't going to go, well, there, there, try better next time. You know, a bit more effort, but it's okay. No. Paul, though, shouts out verse 28, don't harm yourself. We are all here. This moment. And, and again, I, I love to just imagine the, the exact timing of this. Um, as the jailer runs out uh, and Paul is called to him. So he calls for lights and he falls trembling before Paul and Silas. Again, realising that there is something special about them. He brings them out and he says to them, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? In this moment, there's this response because of what he's seeing, what he is experiencing. And again, maybe it's just me, but I imagine at that moment, you know, kind of, Paul and Silas might be going, well, actually, if we get a bit of food first, um, we'd love to talk with you. We've got a great five kind of session course we could work through. Um, if we could have a bit of a clean note, because it's a bit smelly in there, um, and just something to sit on, uh, a bit of lotion for my ankles. Um, you imagine what you might ask for in that moment. But yet, without missing a beat, they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. What you need to be saved, this is what you need to be saved. This is why we're here. This is what they're about. And just because they find themselves locked up in a prison doesn't mean they go, well, we're off duty now. Um, and we'll clock in again when we're finally out of this uh, problem uh, that we currently find ourselves in. And, and I love that the, the jailer's response, having heard the words of verse 33, it says, at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. And then immediately he and all his household were baptized. Again, there's no waiting. There's just this action. He's heard the word and he responds. And just as an aside, this morning, if baptism is something that you're thinking about or maybe something that that you felt God prompting you about or maybe something that you haven't thought about for years, um, but actually it's something that you know, this is what uh, I should be doing in terms of a step I should be taking. I want to encourage you to come and speak to myself or Rita or Charles and we'd love to explore it with you as that physical declaration in a belief in Jesus, which is what we see here um, in this jailer. But I love again this this fire that was within Paul and Silas. This, this burden that I think is within them to, to just share the truth uh, of who Jesus is. And we say sometimes people have a one-track mind and it's a bit of a negative thing, but I think this is a case where actually a one-track mind is absolutely what it's called for. Um, and this is what they're about. Yet, as I've reflected on this and I work through this passage... It leads me to that question, or back to that question. What about me? What about us? How do we respond to this challenge? How do we seek to live out our lives as believers if we know Jesus? Last week, Melvin was preaching at 8.45, and he spoke on Mark 3, um, and talked about the, the calling of the disciples and brilliantly went through kind of each of them, exploring just what a bunch of... They're just kind of... We, we wouldn't naturally pick them, I don't think. Um, they wouldn't be, you know, the ones we'd go to when we're tasked with changing the world. Oh, yeah, those are the 12 guys that I want on my team. Um, I imagine some of us would rather feel the kind of a, you know, it's like feeling 10 men at the start of a game go, I'd rather do that than pick them. Um, and you look at the disciples, it's so easy to think that. 
But what I, I love that, that Melvin reminded us that when the Holy Spirit fell, they rose up. When the Holy Spirit came, we read the, the rest of the story in terms of their response, in terms of their willingness uh, to be used by God to take his message forward and to, to pay the price for being a part of that mission. And I believe that same Holy Spirit can change us today can empower and equip us to make a difference today. Just as I believe Paul and Silas at their core uh, were shaped by the power of God, by the power of his Holy Spirit. If we invite him to do that for us, I believe he will take us on the most amazing ride that maybe will scare us witless. Maybe because some of us actually think, well, I've kind of done my time and I, I've ticked that box and I'm, I can just coast a little bit now. Um, or maybe I think, well, actually, I'm no longer really any good or I haven't quite um, got the opportunities that I used to. Or I haven't got the skills and the talents and the abilities that, that God really wants for people who are going to actually make a difference for him. So I'll just kind of, yeah, bide my time. Now, I believe every single one of us can be impacted and can be transformed by the power of God's Holy Spirit. We just need to be willing to ask him to fill us. Last weekend, and to finish with this, last weekend, Pete Gregg, uh, the, the writer, the pastor, and uh, as he puts it, the bewildered co-founder of the 24-7 prayer movement, um, he, he tweeted this um, on Twitter. Um, and he said, challenged to the core of my being today by Helen Bahane tortured, locked in a shipping container in the Eritrean wilderness for 32 months for her faith in Jesus. She refused to recant, but defiantly led worship and daily prayers for her fellow prisoners. I saw that tweet last weekend. I think I saw it on the Saturday, I think, is when uh, Pete sent it out. Um, and my mind was already kind of starting to explore Acts 16 uh, ahead of today. Um, and I actually found a copy of her book online. Um, and Song of the Nightingale and it arrived, I think it arrived on Tuesday and I, I picked it up on Wednesday morning to be honest, kind of thought well, I'm going to just flick through, that's kind of interesting um, I literally read it cover to cover I couldn't put it down um, as she described her story of well, a dramatic faith but also this extreme persecution um, and the fact that she kind of, you know, went through barbaric and inhumane treatment at her captors, um, kept in a shipping container um, for you know a length of time that's just beyond belief. But it's the fact that throughout it all, she kept praising God. And we may not find ourselves in that kind of situation, but for me certainly ask that question, what am I going to do with where I do find myself? She says this in her book. She says, I want to give a message to those of you who are Christians and live in the free world. You must not take your freedom for granted. If I could sing in prison, imagine what you could do for God's glory with your freedom.